I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. This is part one of a two-part series, a COVID-19 update. The Chief Medical Officer for DHR Health, Dr. Robert Martinez, has some good news. The vaccine was shown, given a third time, um, to be very effective. I think at least five-fold increase in, in those that are 18 to 55. Those that were over age 65 showed an 11 times response rate in antibody level production. So that really didn't give the virus a chance at all. So we know it's very protective if given to those folks. And so that's good news. That's good news. Already having administered 250,000 vaccines, DHR Health in Edinburgh is the largest state-approved hub for COVID vaccinations south of San Antonio. The chief medical officer for DHR Health, Dr. Robert Martinez, told Steve Taylor how DHR is coping with the new COVID-19 Delta variant. Most importantly is we want to make sure that everybody, number one, knows what a big issue we are currently in and what we're, I understand the full impact of what's going on in the valley right now. We're starting to see a significant resurgence, unfortunately. Um, in, in COVID and particularly the Delta variant uh, amongst a few others, particularly in people that didn't take advantage of the vaccine that we know works so well, unfortunately. And despite everybody's efforts and our efforts in particular, um, and now a lot of people are administering the vaccine, and despite how good the vaccine is, um, people just, for whatever reason, refuse to take the vaccine, which is, you know, very, very disheartening to, to me, myself, and my staff, no doubt. Um, we were begging for this vaccine months ago or a year ago. Um, people would do, have done anything for it, I think, and they were doing anything for it, in fact. Um, and now it's just sitting around and going to waste, some people would say. Uh, in fact, there's been a decent amount of spoilage, I understand. So that's, that's very disheartening. Um, nonetheless, we're here, and there's a couple of things I think that are important that have come up and, and that is number one, we continue to evolve in the treatment and prevention of COVID. And um, while we're ready to serve, you know, people that need to be hospitalized as best possible, despite staff shortages, um, which are currently present all over the state and the, na- the nation, we would prefer to keep them from getting sick in the first place. And the best way to do that is by vaccinating them and making sure that they continue to understand that this this variant in particular, this time around, is much more infectious, much more likely to spread, and uh, so more detrimental. And it's being more detrimental in, in children, uh, which really didn't, uh, were not largely affected the last time. So that's a little bit concerning, considering we're, uh, the floodgates were open today back to school um, in particular. So um, again, we want to make sure that everybody understands we have resources available here with vaccines. And even though it's not approved for children under 12, we think hopefully it will not be long before that approval process um, gets said uh, and and gets, you know, checked off as far as being able to give it to them. But right now, everybody over 12. we, We think probably, just so you know, perspective wise, population wise, I think it's been said about 15% of the population is under 12, right? So it's a small percentage. I think we still have a lot to gain in the other 85% of people who could be vaccinated. Um, 
we did very well preliminarily with uh, with the folks over age 65. Those those folks are probably vaccinated at a rate of 85, 90 percent today. So um, we just need to be doing better there. And so that vaccine is available to everybody. First dose, second dose. Uh, we're willing to give it to anybody, and we've been very flexible about that. Now the other important thing that's come up as of recent, and we talked about Friday, is that there is now approval for a third dose of uh, either Pfizer or Moderna. Doesn't really matter. Um, you can get it anywhere that they give it. And the FDA currently is recommending that uh, people that should be getting that and looking to get it are, are people with severe immunocompromise. And that's the preliminary um, indication at this point. I, I happen to think probably very quickly, uh, it, um, there's pressure mounting, I'm sure, to be able to give a uh, vaccine to a much bigger group uh, that could be predisposed to disease or afraid of it or whatever, especially with so much vaccine laying around that we're aware of. Um, the current indication is for folks that are immunocompromised, for instance, transplant patients, patients that, uh, you know, would otherwise show a decrease in the antibody response. They've done studies and they show very clearly that, that there are certain subgroup of patients, including transplant patients, patients that are uh, on anti-rheumatological drugs, long-term chronic steroids for rheumatoid arthritis, for COPD, uh, people that were born with genetic abnormalities, which suppresses their immune system. Uh, people that may have had you know, bone marrow cancer, or any of those things, those folks that require medications to suppress their immune system is who the FDA is currently targeting for that third dose. And as long as there's been 28 days since your last vaccine, uh, the second round, um, you're, you're able to get it and recommended to get it. So we're gonna start those efforts tomorrow, I believe, if not Wednesday, uh, to be giving the, uh, the third dose out to those folks that are immunocompromised. Tomorrow. Sure. tomorrow so uh that's good news that's good news like i said i think there's a lot of question right now as to when will i be able to get mine in in the general 65 year old who might be diabetic or might be you know have heart disease i think the uh, although that's not who the fda currently is targeting i think there'll be a very quick uh, transition to treat those patients especially if there's a lot of vaccine laying around um, people want to to know that they're doing everything they can uh or at least a good number of them want to know uh, that if they take that third shot, they'll be a little bit more protected. And the FDA, you know, interestingly enough, very clearly, I think they always have to justify, they always feel like they have to justify what they're saying and doing has said that they believe right now that people with otherwise normal immune systems, whatever that means, um, to the general public are very well protected right now with the current vaccine, right, against the Delta variant. Uh, but obviously what we all worry about is that the Delta variant gets smarter and transitions to something else re relatively quickly. And so, um, you know, we, the, the vaccine was shown, given a third time, um, to be very effective. I think at least five-fold increase in, in those that are 18 to 55. Those that were over age 65 showed an 11 times response rate and antibody level production. So that really didn't give the virus a chance at all. No. So we know it's very protective if given to those folks. And so that's good news, that's good news. Yeah, so you mentioned at the start, uh, you're seeing a resurgence in COVID, particularly the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. And across the state, I've, I've seen these stories of how it's not the lack of ho uh, beds in the hospitals, it's the lack of staff. Yeah. So what's the situation with DHR? Very different, it's, it's exactly the same, you know, very different than it was the first time. Mm. The first time was, you know, complete chaos, 
<clears throat> overrun by patients, not enough room to put them anywhere. So <clears throat> DHR very aggressively built over a weekend or two, a couple extra hundred beds, incredible. Um, we didn't have the staff either, but the staff came quickly as we were, we were kind of moving on two levels, talking to the state, talking to the governor um, and his people, you know, Chief Kidd did a fantastic job. We were getting PPE, we were getting all of the equipment we needed, and there was a great response. Um, and the federal government um, helped us as well, uh, quite a bit there. Um, and so it was a coordinated effort when it needed to be done. And we had people and we had space. It wasn't the most um, comfortable, but it was certainly better than people getting sick and dying in the streets. This time around, it's completely different. There's two, two aspects that I think are worrisome or certainly have presented challenges to our staff. The first is that those people that put off their health care that needed to get done, cancers that needed to get operated on, chemotherapies that needed to get given, um, you know, major surgeries that needed to be done and really couldn't wait, might have been put off for a little longer because their doctors were trying to figure out how it was safe for them to be here. And a lot of patients just didn't want to come. A lot of pe people just canceled. Right, unless they were dying, even people that were dying were dying at home. They chose not to come to the hospital. So this time, so there was a natural decrease in the number of patients, normal patients, if you will, seeking care, uh, and there were even traumas. There just weren't traumas. There were people who were not on the street, uh, so people were not getting car crashes. They weren't at bars drinking, um, and so so that kind of we had a little offset of, of decreasing regular cases increase and uptick in, in COVID cases this time around we're very busy continuing to see an increase back to normal levels if not higher of our normal caseload you know we're a primary stroke uh, comprehensive stroke center so the comprehensive stroke stuff the trauma stuff all of that stuff hasn't stopped in fact it's kind of picked up because a lot of people have already deferred at one time and cancer doesn't wait very long, as you know, some worse than others, right? And so heart attacks, strokes, that kind of stuff, that hasn't stopped. And so we're, we're seeing a twofold increase of two different disease processes, like, and we predicted this, we talked about this a while back. Um, to my, it's happening in much bigger numbers. I would have thought there would have been some decline in the, in the so-called elective cases or urgent cases, but people are now seeking care, which is good. It's, good, it's a good thing. Um, that people are seeking care that's necessary, right? Um, that they didn't before. And so that's continued to rise while there's been an even uh, steeper slope of case, uh, cases of COVID this time around to include kids and in a much younger subset, which is very different than last time. So it's kind of a perfect storm of now more cases, normal and COVID, a combined uh, number of cases, right? Severe strokes, brain hemorrhages, heart attacks with COVID, uh, surgeries with COVID, uh, trauma with COVID, delivering mothers with COVID, um, and the normal stuff. So, and exacerbating that worse than ever before, no staff. And so it's been a real challenge this time around. We've got plenty of real estate and not enough nurses for the real estate. Um, again, the real estate helps because uh, you can cram more people in there better than the street on a hot August day, but still we don't like to, and the nurses don't like to get overwhelmed with ratios for, for obvious reasons. And you know, we're, I remind them to kind of hopefully make them feel better. It only goes so far though is, listen, 
listen to you, we're, we're in a pandemic. This is pandemic staffing. The law knows, CMS knows, everybody knows, but they can't get it. That's not the kind of medicine they practice. This is literally like wartime medicine, right? Uh, that we were practicing when we, when we first started, uh, when the first wave. It was literally all hands on deck, put them where you can. Everybody that can help, even though you're not a doctor, nurse, something, you know something, you can take a good direction, get in here, help us. Um, this time around, we're a little bit more organized. We're concentrating on patient and family experience. And so, you know, I, there's been a little more focus on that uh, because I think for, for a couple of reasons. Um, this is a very, what I would call a humiliating disease or a very, a, a disease that really, um, um, it's ugly, it's ugly. People die, they die alone. Um, it's not it's not good on any level. And so we're trying very hard, going the extra mile every day, trying to come up with new ways to accommodate families and lessen that pain and lessen that burden for them. Um, and so that's why it's hard. We don't want to go back to that wartime mentality, just, just, just you know, do this and that and whatever, and that'll have to be good enough. That's not what we want to do, and so it, but it's very so it's very difficult on the nurses and the caretakers to tell the, to remind them. Listen, I know you're not doing a bad job. I know you're not trying to. This is what called for the minute for what we have. We have to do the best of what we have. And so important that leadership um, reminds them of that as often as they can, not as an excuse, but as a as a motivator, because um, it's very hard for us to not, to not have what we're used to having and, and you know staff is, is one of those things it's very difficult very time consuming and it, it's very wearing and taxing on, on people's yeah. brain so you would describe last year last summer as a wartime medicine mm. situation but you're not there you're not at that stage now we're not i mean i, I think there's a couple I, I think technically number wise uh we're not um Illness of patients, we are. We're seeing just as many sick patients, just a little different subset of people, but much more organized. Um, and so we try harder and have put other things in place to, to help the overall um, experience, if you will, for the patient and their family as best possible. We now have e-visits, compassionate visits, where just before we weren't letting anybody near here. And so we're still, there's still some restriction for everybody's safety, but... but um, we're trying hard every day to make sure that people are as close to and get to see and talk to and, and visit with family members that are sick uh, as much as possible, as much as safely possible. Um, that's number one. And number two, I think, um, you know, we've learned a lot. So the other thing we're lucky to have, which we didn't have a year ago, is therapeutics. We've got a lot of very good advanced therapeutics this time around uh, in monoclonal antibodies and, and several other treatments with plasmas and so we're able to use those to uh, keep people out of the hospital so I would say probably on average eight to ten patients which I didn't have before um, eight to ten patients come in with you know nothing overwhelming but they, they have their COVID positive they have symptoms but they can maybe safely be treated at home with oxygen those people get um, monoclonal antibodies that get treated in the ER given the treatments and get sent home with close monitoring. We didn't have that before. And so that probably saves me a good eight to 10 to 12 beds every day. So that's also resulting in a lower number. Otherwise, I would be, those, those would be an extra 10 patients every day that stay here, they either die or they stay here for a couple of months. 
or a month or three weeks or four weeks or whatever. So the therapeutics have helped a lot. Uh, I think that's why you don't see these overwhelming numbers. But, but, but the cases are there. Our ER is as busy as ever um, with this, but we're just treating more of them than we did before. Everybody that came in with a certain set of symptoms got admitted um, the first time around. You've been listening to part one of a two-part series, a COVID-19 update. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.